All right, welcome to the runningrestaurants.com podcast. We're bringing you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to make your restaurant more profitable and successful. I'm your host, Jamie Oikel, and today we've got what I think is going to be a great episode for you today with Stratus Morfogan of Brooklyn Chop House and Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, as well as the author of the soon-to-be-released book called Be a Disruptor. So Stratus, welcome. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, this could go a whole bunch of ways. You have a long time operating history, uh, but let's just go with this. I like this towards the towards the end of your book in your section. You say, if your dreams do not scare the fuck out of you, they are not big enough. Talk about it. Listen, um, I, I always say, and I, I teach a few universities, um, and I enjoy speaking to students, and I tell them, I said, you know, um, you know, in your 20s, whoever told you you should get a job and be successful, uh, that law was written in 1902 when people died at 60. I said, you know, you know, in your 20s, you should take high risk, fuck it all up, re- redo it, uh, correct your mistakes in your 30s, make start making money in your 40s, and retire in your 80s. Because, you know, the people that wrote, I think it was a guy named Felix something who wrote it in 1902, that you should... Get a job in your 20s, be successful, get married, have children, and retire in your 60s. Uh, that was written when the life expectancy was 62. And uh, it makes no sense to be teaching our students of today such a, such an outdated um, rule, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, a theory. And um, so for me is when I tell students to dream, I say dream as big as you can. And dream so big that it keeps you up at night. You know, that, you know, that, 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 that scares the shit out of you. And if you don't, you're not understanding about what the cycle of, the cycle of business is. Your 20s are the best time. You know, you, you have, you have a license to screw it up. And whoever told you that success is a hockey stick? Success, success is a ball of yarn. You know, it's just like this. You know, there's, there's no, and, and if anyone has that hockey stick, they're either, they're either full of it, or they didn't risk enough in their 20s and they could have actually, they haven't seen their true potential. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, 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 I started, I started the book and I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a book guy. I'm a physical book. And so the book's not out. So it's just on the screen. So I like, ah, I could only get into it a little bit. Um, but I, I'm going to read the whole thing when it comes out for sure. Um, but the first thing you talk about, the, the storytelling happens right away. Uh, you talk about being a disruptor, changing things, looking at it differently. Your story is funny right out of the gate, talking about the mob stuff, talking about being six years old in a restaurant. So you've you've seen a lot, but you realize that you can't be the same. Tell, tell folks how you think about it. Well, you know, like I said, my, my dad had nine restaurants at one time, and um, and and he was a true, you know, down, you know, gritty entrepreneur. Like he would actually drive the truck to the Fulton Fish Market on his day, and his brother would do the other days. And uh, they would go to the fish market, the meat market, and the and the vegetable market. And um, you know, I remember a story where you know my mother was taking my brother and sister to Disney World. I think I was ten years old, and I said, "I, I just want to go with Dad to the fish market this week because he's got the truck." Right. And, and and that's what kind of kid I was. I, I knew what I wanted to do at six years old. Uh, I this was like my life. You know, I would love I would love going through the aisles at the Fulton Fish Market. To me, it was like, like, you know, and, and, and the greatest part is I didn't even, I didn't even like eating fish. I just loved the whole energy down there, you know, and yeah, and you know, the mob ran the Fulton fish market. 
And, you know, my Uncle George was the biggest buyer of the fish market because he ran the Grand Central Oyster Bar. So, you know, so that was like the level playing field for the Morphogans. Is that we had a we had we had a lot of buying power. We weren't right. connected. We were just a Greek entrepreneurial family, and uh, but we had a lot of respect for everybody that did run the, that did run the market, and that was a lot of power back then. You know, you were you know, in the seventies, uh, way before it got cleaned up uh, during Giuliani years, um, and I grew up in that kind of environment, and, and I got to tell you, I wouldn't change a thing. It, it, it actually made made me pretty street smart. And I saw a lot of things that parents would say kids shouldn't see at that age. Yeah. But I'm not going to give you my opinion on that. Every every family has their own um, own way of teaching and, and raising their children. But I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I, I appreciated how my dad brought me up. Yeah, I caught that word really early on in the book, the street smarts aspect of, of your, your growing up, learning stuff the kids don't learn otherwise. Uh, it talked about serving celebrities, about presidents, about, you know, all, you know, all those sort of folks. How do you, how do you think about the, I mean, obviously some people want to be treated differently, but everybody wants to be treated different, differently or special. How do you bring a kind of level of service that works for everybody into your, into your operations? What do you think? I, I mean, I, I'm not a starstruck person. I've never been since a kid. Um, you know, growing up in my dad's restaurant, he had, you know, big time gangsters to celebrities and, baseball players and um you know i saw my dad treat everybody equally except for one little old man in carlo gambino where he would never really mention his name and he always sat at the same table and my father would actually you know make sure that table stayed empty on thursday night at the chelsea chop house in howard beach to make sure that mr gambino had his table and the funny story in the book was you know my first lesson of discretion was I walked up to him as a short, chubby busboy at six, seven years old. And I, you know, and as I was pouring water for his table with about six of his cohorts, I said, Hey, good evening, Mr. Gambino. And the whole table just went into like a freeze frame. Like, oh, oh my God, this guy does so much, so much good. He goes out of his way to have discretion and right. make sure that nobody knows his name. And here's a little six, seven year old busboy, you know, say, saying, saying hi to him by name. And then literally after a minute of silence, everybody started laughing. And he's yeah. like, come here, kid. This is my first lesson. He goes, come here, kid. Sit next to me. And I sat next to him. He had his arm around me. He was such a great old man. He was really a wonderful. I have great memories of him. And and he turned around. He gave me a $20 bill. And he says, next time, high is good enough. Yeah. And, and, I, and I had no idea what I did or what I did wrong or whatever. But he was so cordial. He was such like a, like, 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 like my, like a grandpa, like a adopted grandfather. Uh, to me at that age of like 1972, 73. And, uh, and that's my relationship with him. And, and then I went back and my father taught, you know, filled in the blanks for me as a six, seven year old that discretion is part of our industry, you know. And then I fast forward to 2008. Uh, I'm doing a party for John Paulson and, and he's, and he's gone out of his way to make sure it's very private, no waiters in the room and blah, blah, blah. Then I look up on the, I look up on the PowerPoint. And he's doing a hostile takeover of Bank of America tomorrow morning. You know, so these are the things you see in a restaurant. And, uh, and it's just important that you keep discretion because I'm sure there would have been some corrupt restaurateur buying shares of Bank of America yeah. at that moment. You know, you know, things like that. You know, obviously I'm not, I'm not participating in, but restaurant industry is an amazing industry. And, and you know, you know, it's not, it's not often where a kid from Garden City has served every president. 
and I can call them my friends too. Which wow, is, yeah. Even 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 Gore, I call President Gore, and he laughs about it because he loves my Peking duck. And and he goes, "Stop with the president." I said, "Hey, you were president one day more than me. So you're yeah. you're you're President Gore." That's, yeah, that's <laughs> you're, right. You're yeah. You're Mr. President. <laughs> well, I live down in Florida now. I don't think I did back then, but Florida had something to say with that whole uh, that whole, oh, yeah. whole uh, situation. Yeah, he, but, uh, and he's a great man. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've always been an independent. And the truth is, the last time I voted was Ross Perot. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just don't. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not a fan of either side. And uh, I try to keep it very independent. And it's actually good for business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're going to make fifty percent of the people upset if you. If, if, yeah, so that does, that doesn't sound like a good business model. But yeah. during COVID the last few years, I was an advocate, and on on my plate was Cuomo and De Blasio, and coincidentally they're Democrats, and I described. I, mean, I went on every news channel, calling them Comrade Cuomo and Mayor De Blasio, because I had to speak for this. I had to speak for the voices. You know, the press yeah. likes to talk about you, and I get a lot of opportunities. But what they did during COVID. Is, is criminal. Both of them is criminal. And I've even compared it and I got some backlash for it, but I still believe it. And now people are finally coming around. I say Cuomo and de Blasio are worse in New York City than than bin Laden was. And they're like, what? Bin Laden? I'm like, yeah. Because I believe Cuomo is responsible for about 13,000 deaths in nursing homes that could have been avoided if he just sent them to the Javits Center or to the USS Comfort. And more and more of that's going to start coming out. And I think that is criminal behavior. And I think it was politics over lies, politics over health. And, you know, and I backed it up, too. You know, I also fed 9,400 healthcare heroes mm, wow. uh, in 19 hospitals from March 2020 to uh, uh, July 2020. And then that also ties into our Governor Holcomb saying that I need to fire my staff uh, for not getting vaccines. Well, I, I told Governor Holcomb on three different news channels and the New York Post, I said, come and arrest me. I'm not firing my staff because there's there's not one size that fits all. I got a staffer that was one vaccine shot, just got COVID, came back after two weeks of recovery, and you want me to fire them? The doctor said, don't take shot number two because you have a lot of natural antibodies at this stage, and I'm and 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 I'm going to fire a, a person that was with me feeding healthcare heroes instead of taking unemployment. Uh, for six months in early 2020, well, that's yeah. not going to happen, and that's why you know that's that's where that's as far as I went with politics. But I have to call out the bums that represent us. Well, you so, guys, I, obviously, you happen to be in the the most shut down market in the country to go going, going through that, and uh, obviously, yeah, you've been on the front lines of that from 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 a lot of standpoints. But how how did you get how did you get through it from the from the customer standpoint? How did you keep serving folks? How did you keep the morale up? How did you keep the team in place? I mean, it was a cha- it had to be a crazy challenge. It was. The one thing that politicians did do well is that they gave us an extra 100 seats outside at mm. Brooklyn Shop House in Fidei. Um, Dumpling Shop hadn't opened yet, and, and it stalled us about a year and a half because of all the COVID restrictions. But what we did, it, you know, what was interesting, you know, I, I know charity and I know philanthropy always comes back. It sounds like more of a, to me, like a cliche, and I don't do it for that reason. I did it because I wanted to make a mark and I want to tell my grandkids one day what I did with all the healthcare heroes. Um, and I did this on my dime and then Cisco came in and helped me. Junior's Cheesecake, Boss Water, Four or Five Coffee, they all came and donated hundreds of thousands of dollars in products 
But what happened is that when I um, reopened my restaurant, uh, summer of just the outdoors of summer of 21, I, I got to tell you, um, uh, or was it summer 20? Uh, I got to tell you, it was summer, summer 20, uh, indoor dining opened, I think in September for a couple of months and they shut that down. Our business went up 300%. And I started seeing a lot of rambling going on online saying, you know, when this place opens, run. We need to support this restaurant. Mm. This restaurant went out of its way supporting so many different hospitals. And I got to tell you, the truth is, is that's what happened. Our business went up 300%. And, 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 our, and we, we were like so surprised. And then we got some PPP money um, and we hired all our staff back. Uh, I think it was April of 2020. And we hired everybody back immediately with that PPP money. We only got a couple hundred grand. You know, we have a restaurant with 100 employees uh, doing about 12 million a year pre-COVID. Um, and it dropped down to about 600,000 in deliveries. Um, so you can imagine the devastation that hit us. But with that little money, we hired everybody back and we were prepared. We didn't expect the onslaught, but you know, our numbers went up 300% from the summer before. Right, 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 right. Yeah, um, big, big difference. And I can't imagine what it was going through there, but I want to, I want to go back to the book for a second. And you, you, you have a quote in there that I like a lot. Um, two ingredients to success are timing and execution. Yeah. And in, in New York, I think that would be completely, uh, completely, uh, true, true story. What do you think? Yeah, and it's, you know, I think a quote from Abraham Lincoln, you know, it's, you know, luck happens to those when opportunity needs preparation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you can be lucky, but if you're not prepared, you're not going to maximize or take advantage of that, of that luck. Uh, sort of the same thing, you know, timing and execution. I started coming up with a better mousetrap for QSR in 2019. And the better mousetrap was, I don't want to see a toll booth clerk or a toll booth on the, on the Long Island Expressway. The same way I don't want to see any more cashiers at a fast food, mm -hmm. uh, quick, quick service, QSR, fast casual restaurant. I don't want to see any more cashiers. We just don't need it. And if you follow the generation that's really boosted the economy, it's the TikTok generation. Yeah. And the 12 to 30 year olds, they, they, they don't want to talk to you. They want to just work off their phone. And that's going to be their life. Even the iPad is obsolete. I mean, they live off their phone. So then I started creating and figuring out on how I'm going to do my new concept called this Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. Um, and, and when it came down to fixing the model to make sure that my franchisees, because I knew I was going to franchise it, could be successful, it was, you know, get rid of cashiers, embrace technology. Yeah. And that's why I came up with the Automat. And I remember the Automat concept for Brooklyn Dumpling Shop was created by me and Panasonic in 2019. And then if you read about the automat, it exploded after the Spanish flu. Remember, I, I didn't hear anything about COVID until fe late February 2020. And now, now we just signed our lease in January. We start construction. Everything's under, uh, underway. And then COVID comes. And then you start reading about Horn and Harvard. They went from three shops to a hundred shops of pre-Spanish flu to post-Spanish flu. So, you know, and I hate to use this word because there was so much pain and suffering. The timing was perfect for launching the automat. And I did not, I did not schedule it that way. I didn't have a crystal ball to know that there was a pandemic coming. Yeah. I, I did it for economics. I did it for economics and efficiency. I didn't do it for safety. 
The only thing I added well, it, post during COVID was I added UV lights. Okay. Well, explain explain it because what I'm what I'm picturing is, and what I read was like no one touches the food. Like, how does it? What's the logistics there? What are we looking at? So you can you can actually see it on BrooklynDumplingShop.com or Brooklyn Dumpling Shop on Instagram. There's a lot of like video presentations of it. But basically, what it is is it's, I've, I've revamped the automat. To me, the Hornet Harder automat was like the Model T. A couple of other companies, and Japan does it often, so does Amsterdam. But even the Amazon lockers, I think that's like a Ford Taurus. We created the Tesla of automats, you know, and, and what I mean by that is the whole thing is controlled by your phone. And once it's controlled by your phone, you pick the order, you pick, you pay for the order how you want to pay for it. You pick a schedule time, you arrive to the store or have it delivered to you. And basically you get a QR code uh, texted to you. And when you come into the store, you just scan, even if you're a delivery driver for a third party delivery site, or you're the customer, you come in on the scheduled time that the order is ready, you just scan your phone and the designated heated or refrigerated locker opens. You take your food and you go. And the only thing that you see in regards to human contact is behind the glass, we have like the dumpling machine and we have the cooks. Actually, all the product is made fresh and for order. And then in the front, we have a greeter. And that greeter is there just to assist and make sure that the place is clean. And make sure if we do, and some of our locations will serve alcoholic beverages, that everybody's over 21. And, yeah. you know, with three, three, with three employees and about one fifth of a manager, because one manager can run five stores, you can service 600 to a thousand people. And then talk about again, timing to answer your question. Wow. What's the biggest challenges, the biggest problem we have in hospitality today? Is, is that, you know, if you can't find, you can't find labor. And the reason why I did this wasn't for that reason. I did it because labor is the number one reason to go out of business pre COVID. Now, now you can't even get into business. You can't even find labor. That's right. So bang, bang, bang. It's a trifecta. Uh, it's the perfect timing to launch the automat. And this wasn't a COVID like business uh, move or, or no, I, I did it in 19. And this is the future. The same way that you don't see toll booth clerks on all your expressways and bridge and tunnel openings, you're never going to see a cashier. But again, uh, and I just said this at a big at a big uh, session in, in Vegas. You know, hospitality always always makes the same mistake. We're always late to embrace technology. Yeah. And and, and that's what's going on here. How are people? I go into a Starbucks or a Chipotle or a McDonald's and I cringe. And now McDonald's thinks that they're getting ahead because they're putting the self-ordering kiosks. Well, we already know that the self-ordering kiosks are obsolete. They're, I mean, we have them. We have one instead of four. Because can you imagine being in the, in the, in the self-ordering kiosk business and knowing that that, that unit costs about $10,000? And can you imagine when your competition is 10 cents? Yeah. If your competition is 10 cents, you know what that is? A Xerox copy of the QR code. That's right. I mean, that, that's a really dire business uh, future when your competition is 10 cents and you're 10 grand. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody has their own little computer sitting in their pocket, ready to go. Boom. And all they do is take a picture of a QR code and they're actually yeah. right into our ordering system. With a 10 cent Xerox copy, they're into the ordering system at the same guest experience of a $10,000 self-ordering kiosk. So right. it's pretty cool that we're a step ahead of McDonald's because, you know, that's like my idol when it comes to, you know, when it comes yeah. to franchising and you know, Ray Kroc is one of yeah. my idols. The McDonald's brothers are my idols. 
But what Ray Kroc did is just, uh, obviously, if you've seen The Founder, it's a movie that I watch once a month. Okay. Well, then talk about talk about franchising then, because I'm sure growing up uh, independent, your family owned owned a restaurant, owned a restaurant. You probably never thought about franchising as a, as a as a as a younger gentleman, but now this shop looks 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 super poised for franchising. So what what does what does that look like? What does that growth look so like? You want to laugh? So I came out to Philadelphia now to be with my Pennsylvania franchises, um, and I'm looking at locations, and and I'm sitting in a cheesecake factory while I'm doing this interview. Because this is our meeting point. And let me tell you what Not this funny. really, boy, why this comes home. And I got, I almost got the chills a little bit. In 1989, I had a conversation with my dad. I said, Dad, the Greek diner is, is a brand. And I said, you know, you guys, because he was like the president of the Queens Diner Association. Uh, and I said, Dad, you guys should think about franchising this diner concept. Because a New York diner in every major city, and I'm not just talking about American cities, put one in Paris, put one in London. And my father's like, stop it. Like an old Greek mentality. Stop it. Are you crazy? They're stealing cheesecakes right over my counter. You think I'm going to open more of these? <laughs> they couldn't, they couldn't embrace, you know, I go down, you put POS systems. It's like computers. I got your mother at the register. Why do I need a computer? <laughs> uh. so, so, so you know what? It's funny. It's funny you said that, but yeah, I, I always loved the franchise model. Um, and I tried to push my father. I actually did a little speech at the Diners Association dinner that, you know, you guys, are, you guys, you're immigrants, you know, you're immigrants. And you created this amazing brand of a 24-hour Greek diner. And they, they just didn't get it. They, they, you know, I, I was talking to the wall. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always loved the model of franchising. But you know what? The model has to be special. I met with one of the biggest airport groups yesterday. And they're head over heels saying that I've checked every one of their 12 boxes mm -hmm. on why this concept works for an airport, on why it works for arenas, stadiums, universities, military bases, uh, shopping malls, uh, because it's easy. And, and now what's cool about it is the consumer is in 100% control. And the model that we've created is, is that, you know, like the three and the fifth employees, you could actually open. You got to remember, um, Seven out of ten restaurants fell within the 30, first 30 months. The number one reason, number one reason pre-COVID was payroll. Second mm -hmm. was undercapitalization and third was high rent. You know, I, I think we've nailed it with having, you know, our mission at Brooklyn Dublin Shop is that we, we, we just, we want to revolutionize it. And what I mean by that is the industry norm on payroll is about 32%. Our model says if you follow our guidelines carefully, your payroll with, with a decent business, right? Because obviously nobody shows up. Like, you know, you, you, your three people can still cost you fifty percent. But with 100%. a decent business, your payroll could be fifteen to twenty percent, and that's twelve wow. points to seventeen points lower than the industry norm. And if yeah. you do that, I don't believe seven out of ten restaurants will fail. I believe seven out of ten restaurants will not only succeed, they'll thrive. And why I say that is, you know, let, let, let's just take like the um, how many Seven Elevens go out of business. And the reason why they don't is because even if they have a, I know some people have like 10 7-Elevens and even one that's like on the skids, they'll never go out of business because at the end of the day, there'll only be one person behind the register. You know, yeah. your payroll is not going to sink you. A few big gulps and you're good. You're, you know, you're and, good for and, the day. Yeah. But my dad's 24 hour diner, he had the same payroll, you know, of, of about 60 staffers from eight to eight to eight to eight. You know, so overnight, being 24 hours in a, you know, in a quick, quick casual concept of a diner, 
his payroll was double, but he did double the sales. He always used to say, I'm open 14 days a week. So we're yeah. super excited of just changing the model. And I guess it comes down to why we're here. I'm disrupting it. You know? yeah. and, and, I, and then as I did this, as I did my book with my editor, you know, we realized that I've been disrupting everything since I'm six years old. And, and, and obviously the word disruption only came out in the last couple of years. But I found out every time I was approached with a, 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 a task, I never looked at it straight on and said, I'm going to do it the way the status quo does it. I'm going to do it my way. And there's a lot of stories in my book that show when I was 10 and 12 and 15 years old, I never did anything, you know, conventional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dramatic, COVID changed everything about restaurants and, there, and, it, and it requires a change in the model. And what you're talking about dramatically changes the economics of the model to make it very much more likely to be successful. Because traditionally, yeah, 30% food, 30% labor, and then, and then there's, you know, five cents left at the end of the day after you take all the other costs. Something has to dramatically change in that equation. And you're, you're complete on the other side with the, with the chop house, right? I mean, expensive, different, whole different enchilada there. But, um, maybe, maybe we'll come back and revisit that one because I know you got to run there, but let, let, let's, let's do a last shout out about the book, a quote you like, something else to read since your book's not coming out for what, like another month or so. What should folks be uh, paying attention to when that comes out or what else you want to share for parting thoughts? You know, uh, like, again, I, I feel like um, when we talk about students, for example, universities have a big issue because people are starting, you know, kids are starting to wake up and say, hey, the reason why I didn't go to a university is I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to learn about calculus and physics, things that I had, I had no interest in. And when you have ADHD and you have no interest in the subject, you know, you're not going to do well. Um, and, and what I say to university students is, you know, what I say to the universities that, that set up these curriculums is that you need to be teaching entrepreneurship. You know, they, they need to be more engaged in what kids want today. My daughter graduates U Miami on, on Friday and she talked about going to post, postgraduate studies. And I said, hell no. I said, you're going to go intern for two years for the company of your dreams. And that's what you're going to, that's going to be your postgraduate work. You know, so my biggest thing is that, you know, in universities, you, you, you've got to, you, you know, you've you got to embrace entrepreneurship. They've never done it. They teach you to be a VP in the status quo. And, and that's like the essence of my book. But, you know, when you read, when you get down to reading my book, it's, it's about street grid, you know, uh, pre-Giuliani days, post-Giuliani days, all, every, every obstacle and every um, thing that you just mentioned, times it by 10 during the pre-Giuliani days. You know, you had everybody in your pocket. You had, you know, you had criminals in your pocket. You, you had to fight off the criminals. I mean, so I think it's a unique, unique way of looking at a business book. It's wrapped in sort of like a memoir, but there's no analytics. I don't want to be a, a business book where there's analytics. I want it to be supported by street stories, real stories about business in a city like New York. And that's what the disruptor is. Being a disruptor is, is exactly that. It's being street smart in probably the most difficult city to make it in New York City. Yeah, well, definitely the, definitely the hardest city to make it in. Hey, f quick, funny story. Uh, so my wife and I are both University of Miami graduates. So oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. You'll enjoy, you'll enjoy the ceremony down there. They do a great yeah. job. It's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. So yeah, congratulations to her as that, you. uh, May, May 13th. Well, the, here, here's the last, last funny story. If you, if you got a second is, so we graduated, graduated, we graduated May 12th, uh, 1995. 
And then later that same day, we got married. <laughs> so that's so we always we always remember graduation. Oh, uh, we wrapped it we wrapped it around in marriage. So that was that was how we handled. It's funny when I when I when I asked my daughter to do her two year um, internship uh, internship for the company of her dreams. Um, we're we're relaunching my grandfather's brand, Pappas Pappas Restaurant, which yeah. was from 1910 to 1975. And after Pappas went under, after he had passed away by 10 years, um, everybody copied the name Pappas. So I'm opening Pappas Taverna, which is going to be on the West Village in Manhattan. There's another COVID deal that I did. And I also teach about opportunity and silver linings. Well, Pappas Taverna opens June 10th at, in, on McDougal Street. And my daughter said to me, Dad, I want to work with you. And okay. I was really like, wow. You know, I, I was quite shocked because there are other side of our families in a big real estate company. And I was pretty touched that she said, I want to work with you. And I was like, then you're going to be my partner. That, yeah, that's, that's your, that's that's your graduation gift. I'm giving you a full partnership. <laughs> that's going to be fun. Wow. All right. So good. That's coming up uh, in a week. So she's going to maybe give her, maybe give her a week off and then put her, put her feet right <laughs> she, in. She said she wants a month off. <laughs> a month. All right. All right. Give her maybe three weeks, maybe two or three weeks. Yeah. Don't but, let her rule us. All right. Thank you for having me. But well, you know what, dude? I'm really excited about this book because I've read every business book from every business book you could imagine. I've read it. And what's great about this book, it's supported by real life stories and not analytics. Because to me, analytics starts to get boring after a while. Because, you know, I can, I can Google and find those analytics. Yeah. These are real life unique stories supporting on, you know, what to do, what not to do, and how to succeed and, and not to be afraid of failure. Right, right. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the whole thing. I have an advanced copy. So, but I'm going to peek through that. I'm going to wait for the real book. I'll order it as soon as I can. Uh, folks, this has been Stratus Morfogan of Brooklyn Chop House, as well as the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. Make sure to check them out at brooklynchophouse.com, as well as, as well as brooklyndumplingshop.com. Go to Amazon, where you can pre-order the book called Be a Disruptor. Uh, and for more great restaurant marketing, operations, service, people, and tech tips, stay tuned to us here at runningrestaurants.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Stratus. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.